kids camp right there. Are you guys sad you missed it? <laughs> Did you notice in that video all of our leaders and their silly, goofy faces in there? Can I tell you they are the true heroes uh, that come to kids camp? So I just want to thank all my leaders if they're here for being a part of that. Um, I have the privilege of being able to coordinate that camp. And so I get to stand back and just watch all that happens there. And I will tell you, we brought 14 leaders, which is phenomenal. We brought almost 60 kids with us as well. And at the camp, there were uh, over 300 students in total from multiple churches around our network. And on the first day, uh, over 96 kids said yes to Jesus. So my goodness, that's something to celebrate, right? Uh, so that's, that's camp right there. Like, they have a blast. They get away from just their regular routines. And it takes what we do like on a Wednesday night and it expands it to four full days. And I will tell you something powerful happens when kids and leaders can be together for four full full days and play together and pray together and worship together. Did you see them linking arms and raising their hands in worship? Some kids, that's the first time they really learn what it means to really praise the Lord and lift their hands in worship to their Savior. So it really is precious. It's very special. And camp is probably my favorite uh, all year long. I really look forward to taking our kids to camp, uh, which leads me to say, if you have a youth student, uh, the youth camp is coming up pretty soon. Uh, the deadline for worship, uh, for registering is coming up here really quick, so I would say register right away. They leave on July 20, 20th. They leave on July 20th for uh, summer camp, and that's 6th to 12th grade. So I would say the same thing for youth camp. It will be the best week of their whole summer. I would say register them if you haven't yet. If you want to be a leader, you could also come as a leader. Uh, talk to Pastor Tyler about that because I know that's a big part of camp. Uh, is the, the time invested as leaders with students is really a big deal. So just celebrate that. And also want to celebrate the fact that because of your tithing and giving, we're able to scholarship a number of students to go to camp. And how precious is it uh, that some of those students who might not have been able to come were able to come to kids camp and also will be able to go to youth camp. So I just want to thank you as a church family for, for doing that uh, and allowing us to be able to take kids in that way. And also part of your tithing goes into that building out there. Did you guys see how cool is that? It's getting bigger. There's a roof on it. Uh, if this is your first Sunday with us, that building is all for children. It's a children's building, and we're so excited that it's uh, that's growing and it's coming together. And uh, before you know it, we're going to be having services in there with our kids. So I'm just excited for it. But as we prepare uh, next Sunday, we want to invite you to come and take some time out there. We're going to open the building up for you to take some Sharpies and just mark that puppy up. Uh, we want you to, pr to write prayers, write Bible verses, maybe spend this week, you know, really praying over God. We know what you're going to do in that building. And, uh, and we know that it's going to be powerful things. God's going to work in the lives of kids in this new building. So next Sunday, we want to invite you to bring your prayers and write them on the walls. I'm also going to put kind of a map up there for you to be able to see where kids will be spending their spaces, where the toddlers and the preschoolers and the kids' church, all that kind of stuff. So you can look at what it's going to be like, the plans, and you can just write prayers out and just... Just talk to God on those walls, on the floor, wherever. We can just mark it up and uh, and just dedicate in one way, I guess, uh, that, that building to what God is going to be doing there. Would that be awesome? 
Come and join me, I pray. <laughs> also, a couple other things, though, that are coming up on our schedule. Um, our pastors, specifically led by Pastor Brent, uh, I want to join you downtown. If you go downtown, look for us down there. Uh, we'll be walking around. You know how they have the Cole Street wide open for, for downtown? We just want to connect with you in in different ways. So if you see us down there, come and chat. The reason we're there is to, is to talk with you and to connect with you in another way. And then also another great way to connect, we have a family movie night that's coming up. It's July 21st. That's a Friday night. Uh, we actually set it up outside um, in the grass out there. And it's a really great opportunity for you to come because we actually start right at 730. The movie doesn't start at 730. It's too light outside. But we have lots of games and activities out on the field. It's another just another great way to connect with your church family. It's for everyone, not just kids. Even though it's a Mario movie, I know adults, you will love it. You will, you will get your inner roots out if you come. So everyone is invited to do that. And we just, it really is a great opportunity to connect with your church family in another way. I like to say this, that when we come together and play together, it opens up opportunities for us to pray together, right? So these opportunities that we have are really meant for that connection to your family. We want to be your family. So uh, we love you. We thank you for just being a part of all the things. And with that, I will tell you, open your Bibles to Luke chapter 10. Yeah, thank you, Pastor Allison. You know, church, in all seriousness, in all seriousness, we have the best kids pastor in the whole Northwest. So, um, yeah. <laughs> Unless you have to live with that energy every day in the office, in which case it kind of gives you gray hair. No, she knows. Yeah, good stuff. And, and huge, really, I want to echo what Pastor Allison said. Huge thanks to so many people who who gave up their week to serve kids uh, this week. Nothing nothing could be more precious in our Father's eyes than that. So thank you for that. It's good to be back with you. Thank you for letting me last week be gone. Uh, we were at my dad's memorial down in uh, Springfield, and that went well. That was good. It was blessed. Um, God was there. And so it was a great experience. Pastor Weston was doing double duty, though, last week, huh? Maybe we appreciate him a little bit for, uh, for everything. Yeah. He's young. He can do that. Um, this morning, we're in Luke's Gospel, chapter 10. It's good to be back with you. It's good to reflect on the fact that, I mean, let, let, let yourself just grasp this morning that, that our Maker, our Creator, our Judge, our Father, our God loves us. Just let, let, let that sink into your heart. Let that sink into your spirit as we get ready to open His Word together and, and, and let Him teach us. Like Pastor Elson said, we're in Luke chapter 10, beginning with verse 38, and you'll remember that we started this year uh, by saying that we were going to take what we're calling a, a road trip with Jesus. We're going to spend this year going all the way through Luke's gospel from the beginning to the end, and we've been doing that since January, and you'll remember we said why. We said that we live in the age of the deep fake. We live in a time when there has never been more misinformation in the world about a lot of things, but also about God, about Jesus, about who he is, about who he isn't, about what he's about, what he's up to, what he wants, what he seeks. And Jesus said that would happen. He, he told us to watch out for that, watch out for false prophets, their sheep's and wolves' clothing. But he, he said that watching out wouldn't be hard. We just pay attention to the real Jesus, and we'll be able to identify the deep fake every time. And, and that's what we've been doing this year, walking through Luke's gospel together. We're in chapter 10, beginning with verse 38. And, and let me begin by saying this. I'm sure you've noticed that 
life is full of distractions. It's full of things that can distract us, that can capture our attention away from what's important. There's no shortage of distractions coming at us all the time. I remember when, when Rhonda and I first started dating. Now, we couldn't stand each other in high school. We went to the same high school, but oil and water all throughout school. And then after high school, we actually started dating. It was about a week after high school that that happened. And the first time I went to her house to pick her up for a date, you know, like any young guy, I wanted to make a good impression on her parents. So I was all kind of nervous and anxious about doing that and way too wound up when I got there and knocked on the door. They invited me in. I met her mom and dad. And, and then in my nervousness, I said, so where's Rhonda? You know, and they said, well, she's in the bedroom still getting dressed. And in ignorance, I just immediately headed for the bedroom, right, in that moment. Now, it's a funny moment that we laugh about now, but they had this little ankle biter, white poodle dog, and that dog didn't want me going around his room, right? So as I headed down the hall, this dog latches onto my pant leg and is pulling for all she's worth, right? And I'm trying to be cool and not get upset, you know, or get, you know, carried away. And so I'm going down the hall dragging this dog like this, waiting for the, well, her mom at the same time is trying to drag the dog and get the dog off my leg. And every time she goes to reach for the dog, I drag it down the hall. And we went right down the hall like that to Rhonda's room. I didn't make a good first impression, in case you're wondering. I failed to make a good first impression because I got so distracted and you know, the temptation for each of us is to get distracted by what's urgent so that we miss what's important. And, and, and we're going to see our Savior teach us about that this morning in this passage in Luke's gospel. You know, um, sometimes we can get so distracted that it's dangerous. In January of 2022, a young man by the name of Richard Jacobson set out to take an awesome selfie. That's kind of the passion of the young generation, to take an awesome selfie. And he wanted to take it on top of Flatiron Mountain, which is outside of Phoenix in Arizona. And so he set out to take the perfect selfie, climbed up to the top of the mountain, went over to the edge of the cliff where the view was spectacular, and then he lifted up his phone and started trying to get just the right shot, right? The sunlight at the right angle, the view just right, his face in the picture just right. And as he worked on doing that, as he tried to get that perfect selfie, tragically, he stepped right off the cliff and fell 700 feet to his death. What an awful story. And, and, and what's awful about it is, you know, it was so unnecessary. Uh, we don't fall off cliffs when we're paying attention. We fall off cliffs when we get distracted by something less important. And that's what happened to him. Uh, you know, when I think about this whole distraction and danger thing, I remember when Rod and I first moved to Enumclaw that first year we were here and we were pump I was pumping gas over at Safeway in downtown Enumclaw and I was actually on the phone with my wife pumping gas watching the traffic go by and I'll never forget watching a woman come speeding down the road from kind of the direction of the fairgrounds into town and we found out later that she was texting and she plowed full speed into a parked semi and lost her life right in front of me, right while I was talking to my wife. I'll never, right, right there. And there was uh, 
no rescuing anybody or anything. The car was just completely destroyed. We found out later that it happened, you know, because she was texting and driving at the same time. Of course, we all know on one level that no text, no selfie could ever be that important. But we get distracted. And that distraction can bring danger. And, and Jesus wants to talk to us about that specific thing this morning. Luke chapter 10, beginning with verse 38. Let, let's watch and listen to our Lord. The Bible says this, as Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. All kind of significance about that. We'll unpack in a moment. She had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said, to what he was teaching. But Martha was distracted by the preparations that had to be made. And so she came to Jesus and she said, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. Now, let's pause for a moment before we hear Jesus respond to her. And let's understand some details about this story that actually help us understand the story. First of all, a first century audience, Jewish audience, that hears just the first sentence of this story would have been surprised and maybe a little bit scandalized. Because in those days, to have a, a spiritual leader, a rabbi, a teacher of disciples like Jesus go to stay at the home of a single woman. We don't know whether Martha was a widow or whether she was just single, but her home would never be described as her home unless there wasn't a man to attribute it to. And so Jesus is staying at the home of what we would say is an unmarried woman. And there was uh, great disapproval in the culture of that day for something like that to happen. And yet, Jesus accepts that invitation and acts on it. That would have caused the eyebrows of those around him to be raised. And then the scripture says that, that she, Martha, had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet. Don't assume that that phrase simply describes her body language. It doesn't. The phrase to sit at the feet of a rabbi is a technical phrase indicating that Mary was received by Jesus as a disciple, as one of his students, as somebody he's mentoring, and as somebody he's teaching. Again, in that culture, that would have been wildly unprecedented. To have a, a woman as a disciple would have been questioned, frowned upon, talked about. But Jesus doesn't hesitate. Repeatedly throughout the Gospels, we see this kind of thing. Because in those days, the culture was sick and believed that a woman was somehow less than a man. And Jesus, by his behavior, relentlessly mitigates against that idea. We find the same thing throughout the New Testament. Paul tells the Galatians over in chapter 3 that men and women are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. That God's intent was always that we would be equal in our value, equal in our significance. And again and again. And so what we want to grasp from this church is understand that, that the gospel doesn't denigrate women, it elevates them. And when you look at the world, where do you see women's rights having been expanded upon and developed, it's in places where the gospel has gone. There's this fiction in the culture that the Christian faith somehow suppresses women. The opposite is the truth. It's where the gospel has gone that women are elevated. And Jesus is the one who sets that example. 
And the apostles are the one who build on that example. So that's the first thing we want to understand in this story. The second thing is that Martha's name is actually very significant. In fact, scholars tell us it was most probably a nickname because Martha was an unusual name in those days. And the root of the word mar is the root same as the word hostess or esteemed hostess. So when you read about Martha in this story, think Martha Stewart, right? She was the one who everybody looked to to understand how to entertain, how to host guests, how to prepare your home. Martha has that kind of reputation. And when we understand that, what she says and does starts to come into sharper focus. See, Martha has a reputation to uphold. She has an identity. She has a nickname. She's the esteemed hostess. And she maybe is inviting Jesus to her home, not only to hear from Jesus, but maybe even more to build her reputation, to, to maintain, to sustain this nickname that she had earned, this identity that she lived by. In other words, in this story, she's acting out of self-interest, maybe more than anything else. And it leads to a, to a bad place in her spirit. Let me, let me ask us, pause for a moment and ask you to ask yourself this. How much of your life is controlled by your desire to build or maintain your reputation. That's a temptation that all of us wrestle with. What will people think of me? What are people thinking of me? And very easily, that reputation maintenance can become the driving force in our lives. And it's not a good driving force. Not a good one at all. In fact, Mary ends, or Martha ends up in a bad place. She's accusing her sister. She's accusing Jesus. She's wallowing in self-pity. She is worried and upset about many things, as Jesus is going to put it. Why? Because her life is driven by her need to maintain her reputation. Let me ask you to ask yourself again, how much of your life is controlled by that. You know, we told that awful story about Richard Jacobson losing his life, but it's not a solitary story. In fact, between 2001 and 2021, there were 378 selfie-caused deaths. Most of them people falling off things. Sometimes people stepping in front of things, but usually falling off of a building, a skyscraper, hanging out an apartment window, a mountaintop, desperately trying to gain the notoriety that comes from a great picture and losing their lives in the process. Wow. Distraction can dominate us. It can become, in fact, an addiction. And you can tell you're suffering from it if the reputation you have is never enough for you. Yeah, here's a way to kind of self-test on this. Do you find that you're always expecting more from yourself? I'm tempted to feel that way all the time. It's never good enough. It's never enough. When you feel like that, it's because you're being driven by the desire to portray yourself a certain way. Do you always expect more from others? Do the people around you feel like you're always asking more from them, that enough is never enough? Do you find yourself constantly criticizing yourself and other people? 
And do you find yourself, like Martha, accusing God? Don't you care? All those are signs of what we call approval addiction or the need to maintain reputation. Martha is wrestling with all of that. She's not content. And she's upset and struggling because of it. What, what should have been an incredible opportunity to have Jesus, the Son of God, in your home for a day, to be able to talk to him in person, to be able to listen to him one-on-one. -on -one. But for Martha, it's turned into something very different. And you can tell if that kind of thing is happening in your life. If serving God, worshiping God, fellowshipping with the people of God starts to become a nuisance, starts to become a chore or a duty or a hardship or something you sort of want to avoid. Malachi the prophet talks about this over in chapter 1 of Malachi. He's speaking to Israel. God, through the prophet, is speaking to Israel. And God says, you ask, how have we shown contempt for you? So Malachi begins by God saying through the prophet, Israel, you're showing contempt for me. Your heart towards me is not right. And, and the people said, well, how? How is that the case? And so God says, you place defiled food on my altar. In other words, he's saying you take the worst, the leftovers of what you have, and you bring that to me. You place defiled food on my altar. And you say, well, what do you mean defiled? And he says, by, when you say the Lord's table is contemptible, when you bring blind animals for sacrifice, is that not wrong? When you sacrifice crippled or diseased animals, is that not wrong? In other words, God taught Israel to worship him with the best of what they had. And they were giving the worst of what they had. Why? Because they began to feel like it was a chore, like it was a duty, like it was a thing they had to do that they really didn't want to do. Why? Because of that desire to maintain one's own reputation instead of recognize who God is. Martha could have experienced the humanity of God in her home, but instead... She's worried and upset about many things, accusing other people, accusing God. That's what happens. Remember, we learned a few weeks ago when Jesus taught us the parable of the sower that life's worries, riches, and pleasures can choke out the life of the Spirit. That's what's happening to Martha in this moment. And the irony, church, please catch me on this. The irony of this story is that there's a part of Martha that really wants to honor Jesus, to experience him, to learn from him. But catch this. She gets so caught up in what she's doing for him that she completely misses what he wants to do for her. And can I say, that can happen to any of us. When we get so caught up in what we're trying to do for God, in what we're trying to do, that we forget that all of that begins with what he does for us, then we lose our way. And we can find ourselves feeling like Martha. <laughs> Let me ask, if, if the Son of God was at your house, would you be in the kitchen or the living room? <laughs> would you be in the backyard or the front yard, <laughs> you know, with him? I mean, right? Would you be so worried about what he thought of how your carpet looks that that's all you could do? Or would you be able to just let all that go and say, Lord, talk to me. I, I want to take this opportunity to hear from you and to learn from you. Remember what we learned a few weeks ago, the, the two times that God the Father spoke audibly from heaven in the life of Jesus, he said the same thing both times. This is my son. Listen to him. Listen to him. I'm not asking you to do a bunch of stuff. The stuff you do flows out of listening to him after you listen to him. But all I'm really asking, Greg, 
is that you would listen to him. You know, when I was in college, Bible college, they handed us out this little pamphlet that changed my life. It's only about 20 pages long. It was written back in the 40s by a guy named Charles Hummel, and the title of it was this, The Tyranny of the Urgent. And all this little book talked about was how easy it is for the urgent things in our life to crowd out the important things in our life. How easy it is for us to, to worry about the stuff that's right in front of us, the little things that got to be done right away, to the degree that we completely miss the important things. And he wrote about how most people come to the end of their lives, having spent most of their time and energy doing urgent things and never getting around to the important things. And Jesus invites us to discover that that's a road to nowhere. And he's going to respond to Martha in that way in just a moment. God is trying to capture our attention here this church because he wants to give us something before we set out to give him something. In 2003, Europe's Super Lotto had reached what at, then, at that time was the highest prize ever, 68 million euros. And the amount was too much for one elderly Italian man living on a pension. So for the first time in his life, he bought a lottery ticket. The first and only time he just, you know, decided to get one. But when the day came that the winning numbers were announced, he was preoccupied with the details of his daughter's wedding. It was still a couple of months away, but he was working with caterers and florists and, and decorations and all that kind of stuff. And he was so busy that day that he never got around to checking his ticket. And it wasn't until the next day that he found out that his was the winning ticket, but he had missed the deadline. Now, just imagine what his daughter's wedding could have been if he'd won the $68 million, right? And see, that's what happens when we let ourselves get carried away by distraction. We miss something that God wants to give us. Distractions will rob us of the treasure of knowing God and learning from him. And so Jesus, hearing Martha's heart, don't you care? Tell my sister to help me. There's stuff that's got to be done. Lord, tell her to... Get up from sitting at your feet and come help me in the kitchen. Jesus responds. Look at verse 40. Well, in verse 40, reminded, she says, My sister's left me to do all the work myself. Don't you care? And Jesus responds and says this. Martha, Martha. It's never good when God says your name twice, right? You know, it's like when, when your mom says your first name and your middle name, right? When I was a kid, if mom said Gregory Todd, things were not good, right? So Martha, Martha. You are worried and upset about many things. Please hear Jesus' compassion for her. He's not condemning her. He feels for her. He doesn't want her to live with this anxiety and self-pity and reproach of herself and others. He wants her to be free of that. He says, oh, Martha, you're, you're struggling. You are worried and upset about many things. But only one thing is needed. Mary has chosen what is better, and it won't be taken from her. In other words, Martha, if you only understood that, sure, food's got to be cooked and tables set and all that, but if you'll come and listen to me first, if you'll come and sit at my feet first, then all that stuff will get done the right way, and your heart will be open, and the fruit of the Spirit will flow through you, 
Love and joy, peace and patience, kindness and goodness, gentleness and faithfulness and self-control. Those things will mark your time in the kitchen. But it begins with sitting at my feet. It begins with listening to me and learning from me. Mary has chosen what is better and it won't be taken from you. A lot of people go through life insisting that God make other people meet their expectations. And Jesus here says, I'm not going to do that. <laughs> I'm not going to do that. Matter of fact, over in Romans 14, Paul says the Lord tells us our attitude should be, hey, my brother, my sister, they answer to God, not me. And Jesus is saying that kind of thing here. See, expectations, our expectations of ourselves, of others, and even of God can actually make us blind and deaf to him. Think about this for a moment. People in Jesus' day had a lot of expectations that caused them to reject God when he was standing right in front of them. For example, over in John's Gospel, chapter 8, verse 56, the people rejected Jesus and they said, you're not even 50 years old yet. As if God can't be heard from anybody who's not at least 50 years old. What nonsense, right? Jesus himself said, if you really want to know what I'm about, listen to the kids, pay attention to the children, learn from them. Unless you become like a little child, you can't enter the kingdom. And so there's this, this prejudice they had, this attitude that, well, you're not old enough to listen to. And it blinded them to the Son of God. There's a million examples of that kind of thing. The zealots in Jesus' day, they said he wasn't militant enough. He wasn't marching in the street. He wasn't combating society's ills in the way they expected him to do, and so they rejected him. Others said he ate too much. They called him a glutton. Why? Because he ate more than they thought he should eat. You know, it was kind of an ascetic tradition with the prophets to starve yourself. John the Baptist did it, but it's not necessary. It's a choice, but they put it on Jesus, that expectation. When he didn't do it, they said, well, you can't be for real. Others were upset that he drank wine. Some were upset that he touched lepers or that he healed on the Sabbath or that he came from Nazareth or that he talked up Samaritans. The list is, is huge, and in the end... Most of Israel was upset that he wasn't patriotic enough to fight the Romans, instead choosing to surrender and die on a cross. And so they reject him. Why? Because of their expectations. But God comes to us and says, he says, Greg, I'm not going to meet your expectations because that's not what you need. What you need, Greg, is to learn from me. What you need, Greg, is to let me change your mind, inform your mind, build your understanding. What you need to do is sit at my feet first then everything else will come into line. Dear church, intimacy with our Father happens in our lives at His speed and in His way. And there's no shortcuts. And sometimes we just need to sit still and let Him teach us, or as the psalmist put it, to be still and know that He is God. Sometimes we need to get alone and close the door and kneel down in prayer like Jesus taught, like we're going to talk about next week. Sometimes we need to serve someone who's near to us that we're usually too busy to serve so that then we'll learn something that will matter more than anything we got done. Jeremiah the prophet says, you will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart, speaking for the Lord. And we hear that and say, well, I got to do something. But sometimes to seek him with all your heart is to sit still, <laughs> to sit down and to listen like Mary, like we're doing right here in this moment. God's presence happens when we surrender our expectations. Now, notice, finally, that Jesus says to Martha, Mary has chosen what is better. What does he mean? He means what's better for her, what's better for us. See, friends, we've got to understand something. You and I are not just bodies. We're not just jobs. 
We're not just families. We're not just earthly lives. We are souls. And we live from the inside out, from the deepest part of who we are out. You can be strong, successful, uh, have a million accomplishments, and still be sick in your soul. And if you are, none of that means enough. But when we are built from the inside out, from our souls up, then the whole story flips, and we don't even have to have all that stuff, and we find peace, and we find contentment. And when we're willing to sit down and wait for God, then we learn that. We learn about him. We learn who he is. We learn the important things. I remember some years ago, uh, many years ago, on a Christmas Eve, uh, I was in Bible college. Rhonda was working for an attorney in Bellevue. And, uh, you know, a lot of times uh, it was very demanding work that she was doing, and she would be very busy. And um, it came to be Christmas Eve one year, and we were heading down to Oregon to be with our families for Christmas Eve. And, and the attorney on the day before said, Rhonda, I need you to come in tomorrow on Christmas Eve. We're like, are you kidding? We're supposed to go? You know, it's the holidays. Who made you Scrooge, right? You know, that kind of thing we're feeling. But we're like, okay, God teaches us to, you know, be responsible, submit to our employers, that kind of thing. So so she goes in the next morning. We're thinking, oh, it'll only be an hour or two, something urgent that has to be done. And so I drove into, we got the car all packed, and I'm kind of hanging out in the lobby of this building. And 8 o'clock comes, 9 o'clock comes, 10 o'clock comes, noon comes, and we're still not out of there. And I'm going up to check in with her, and she's mad, and I'm mad, and we can't even believe it. Nobody else is there. Just a couple, and, and boy, irritated. And there was more than one time, because this hadn't been the first time, that she wanted to just tell him off and quit on the spot. And I wanted to tell him off and then punch him out and quit on the spot, because I'm a guy, right? And I just couldn't believe it. And, and then it goes on into the afternoon. We're supposed to be going Christmas. Three o'clock in the afternoon. By now, I'm sitting in the lobby of his office tapping my foot, right? And he comes out and he goes, oh man, we better get out of here. It's Christmas Eve, you think, right? He says, hang on just a minute. And he walks into his office and he comes back out and hands us a $2,500 check for Christmas bonus. <laughs> Nobody saw that coming. Suddenly the whole day looks different in our hearts, right? This is not a problem. We'll wait all day. How long do you need us? You know what I mean? Want me to wash your car? It's all good. I mean, this is the 80s. That was a lot of money, right? And so we drove home going, wow! <laughs> How quickly waiting changed, you know? We didn't see that coming ahead of time, but if we hadn't waited what we would have missed out on. And, and Jesus is saying that to us even as he's saying it to Martha, saying, hey, I want to bless you. But what is better, what is best, what is most important that you sit and learn from me and then go on to everything else. Let me ask you as we get ready to close this morning, do you set aside just a little time, five, ten minutes every day to stop what you're doing and sit at Jesus' feet and let him teach you? Just listen to what he's saying in his word. He says, you know what? All the other stuff will go so much better if you do. Because this is the most important thing. This builds you from the inside out. Martha, you're worried and upset. You're stressed. You're mad at everybody. You're mad at yourself. You're mad at God. If you just sit down and listen, I can change that in your heart. I sat with a, a good man, a wonderful man some time ago who asked if we could get together because he just found out that he was diagnosed with an aggressive form of cancer that will take his life in the near future unless God does a miracle of healing. Of course, we pray for that. But as we got together, he was pretty straightforward. He said, Pastor Greg, I just wanted to sit down with you. Is there anything else I need to do, you know, as I get ready to pass from this life? 
And when he said that, I thought to myself, brother, I've known you a long time. Don't you already know? <laughs> you know, haven't you already learned what Jesus asked? He just asks you to believe, and he gives you his grace. That's what his word says. And I felt deeply for him in that moment because inside of me is this absolute certainty about what Jesus said and did and promised and so on. So it's, it's a non-issue. But for him, although he's been busy doing good things and he's had Jesus in the house, he's been in the kitchen the whole time doing other things. And he doesn't have that. And I so wanted to give it to him. But what I know is that it doesn't come unless you sit at his feet and listen to him. You know, as we talked, he talked about all the things he'd done in his life and how suddenly they seemed less important. Yeah. This is the most important thing. Jesus knows that, and so he wants that for Martha. He wants that for us. You remember what he told the guy who came in John chapter 6. Two men came and said, what must we do to do the works the Lord requires? What must we do? Jesus said, the work of God is to believe in the one he has sent. Just to believe. Everything else flows out of that. But it begins with believing. And that's all, that's all we need to do for God is to believe. Once we understand that, then we do things for him, but it's out of thanksgiving, it's out of appreciation, it's out of love. And that's the difference. But when we don't sit at his feet, we never learn that. There's really three things we learn when we sit at his feet. First of all, we learn who God is. You know, the Bible says, I was thinking about this at my dad's memorial last week, that when Jesus attended the memorial, actually, of Mary and Martha's brother, Lazarus, he saw them grieving. I love this. John 11, verse 35, shortest verse in the Bible says this. Jesus wept. He wept with them. He felt with them. He felt for them. That's who God is. Last week, as we stood by the river and scattered my dad's ashes, ashes I heard the Holy Spirit say, Jesus wept. Oh, that's a good thing to know. When we sit at the feet of Jesus, we learn who God really is. All of us know he's there, but a lot of us don't know who he is. We learn that when we sit at his feet. We learn, like John chapter 3, verse 17 says, one of my favorite verses in all the Bible. When you think about what's going on in the world, when you think about all the struggles and all the wrongs and all that, remember this. God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world but to save the world through him. That's who he is. That's who he is. And when we know that, everything looks different. So the first thing we learn is who God is. The second thing we learn is who we are. You know, here, here's the bottom line, church. I'm a sinner. So are you. I do things I shouldn't. I don't do things I should. And beyond even that, there's something wrong with me way down deep. <laughs> I'm a sinner. And I only learn that when I listen to Jesus. And, and the reason it's important to learn that is because then I learn about the last thing, which is God's grace, that God gives me his grace, that on the cross, he pays the price for all my failures. He washes them away. He wipes them away because he wants to, and he offers me that free gift of his grace, which suddenly means everything because I know I'm a sinner. <laughs> Mary's learning all that. Martha's not because she's too busy trying to do stuff for God then let God do stuff for her. You know, I had a friend I was talking with recently who said, I just want to know what God wants me to do. And I said, oh, brother, God wants you to know what he's done for you. <laughs> That's way more important. Mary's learning that. Martha's not. 
And so this story is all about that in their lives and in ours. Here's what God is saying to you and I this morning as we get ready to close. He's saying, hey, will you sit down, please? Will you stop and just listen first? A little bit every day. Sit at my feet and then get up and go on into the other stuff. It's better for you. It's what I want for you. It's how the worry and anxiety and upsetness gets pushed into the background. It's how you're able to be free to love God, yourself, other people. It happens when you sit at his feet. Let me finish with a story. We learn these things we're talking about when we sit at Jesus' feet, when we let go of our distractions and our expectations enough to sit down and listen. In his book, An Anthropologist on Mars, how's that for a great book title? Pique your curiosity. Uh, neurologist Dr. Oliver Sacks tells the story of Virgil, a man who had been blind all his life. When he was 50 years old, Dr. Sachs invented an experimental surgery. Virgil was the first patient. And Virgil underwent the surgery, and his blindness was corrected. He came out of the surgery able to see. But the book is about how he and Dr. Sachs discovered that merely restoring his physical ability to see didn't enable him to see. Sure, he perceived colors and shapes textures and distance but he couldn't make sense of it it was all just a big blur to him and what Dr. Sachs and Virgil learned together is that the mind has to learn how to use the eyes and so Virgil entered into a process of learning to recognize what he was looking at oh that's a person that's a dog that's a sunset that's a mountain oh that's my friend that's my wife he had to undergo that learning process. And that changed what he was seeing into something that made sense. And so was he physically able to see up through the Yeah. Was he really able to see? No. In the same way, Jesus comes to you and me. He says, hey, Greg, I want you to sit down and learn from me. Because sure, you can perceive shapes and colors, but you can't make sense of them until you learn from me. And I want that for you. Because when you have that, you won't be afraid. You won't be worried and upset. You won't be criticizing yourself and everybody around you and God. Instead, you'll know the truth to use Jesus' words and the truth to set you free. So, as we close this morning, have you carved out a space in your life to sit at Jesus' feet? To just sit down and say, Lord, teach me? It doesn't take long. Ten minutes every day. Worry and upset will fade into the background. Anxiety fade into the background. Jesus wants that for us. He wants that for you. Would you bow your heads with me? Close your eyes. God, we thank you for your word today. Jesus, we thank you for your heart for us. When you spoke to Martha, you so wanted her to be free from what she was struggling with. And you invited her to recognize that she'll find that freedom at your feet. Help us to hear that too, God. Send us from here knowing that that's where we'll find what is better. We pray for that. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Would you stand with me, friends? Yeah. Feels like summertime, doesn't it? Feels like it's arrived. Enjoy the sunshine. Now may the love of God the Father, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, and the fellowship of his Holy Spirit go with you throughout this week. Go with God. Tell someone you love them. Have a great afternoon.